Oh, that's great. That's what we're here for, because we adore him. We're going to continue our series on loving one another. Before I do so, I just want to say we have uh, some special guests here today. I just want to acknowledge them. Kai has returned, I guess all the way from Happy, Texas still, as far as I know. And uh, he's here with his fiance. Yeah. We've missed you. Good to see you again. Also, the Rodriguez's are here from Mexico, Julio's parents visiting us. Good to see you guys. When I was thinking about love, loving one another, I feel like perhaps the greatest expressions that we have as humans in loving each other can be found in family. There's so many beautiful things about the love that we see in family. When a family begins, um, most of the time, and certainly theoretically, they begin in love. There's a wedding takes place because two people love each other and they've decided they want to spend the rest of their life together. They're even willing to make a covenant agreement, a lifetime commitment to each other because of their love. It's a beautiful thing. And then that love seems to blossom and develop as they come to know each other better and better and learn to appreciate and respect and honor so many things about one another that they didn't even know before. And then we find that uh, love just seems in some ways to just explode when children are brought into the family. There, I don't know of any, many things in life more beautiful than the birth of a child and when a mother holds her baby in her arms and just the look on her face, the glow that she has as she sees that child that she brought into the world. There's great, great beauty in love. And we see many, many expressions of love within family units as the years go by and as families grow and as they develop family traditions and all kinds of things that are special moments. Anniversaries and birthdays and celebrations of all kinds. And what you're doing, you're celebrating family. You're celebrating the people that constitute your family. And the reason we do all of that is because of the deep love we have for one another. I don't believe that God does things haphazardly. I think God has, well, he's just so brilliant and he's so genius above what our minds can imagine. And I think there are times when uh, we get maybe glimpses and, and uh, God reveals things to us and lets us see his brilliance. And one of those things is family. In a very real way, when we look at the nature of God himself, there is an element of family in who God is. 
You know, we talk about the Trinity, the three in one, the one in three, and all that kind of thing to try to get our heads around who God is exactly and how he reveals himself to us. But look, we all know that based on the word of God, there's this Father-Son. God the Father, God the Son, that's family. So even in the nature of God, in this beautiful love relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there are elements of family there. And then when he created man, he said it's not good that man's alone, so he created a woman for him. And then after he created a woman, he said this is very good. It's almost like when God created woman and put Adam and Eve together, uh, God was just beaming. This is a beautiful thing. This is a wonderful thing that I've done. And certainly it was. And so I think in some ways, God gave us family to help us understand who he is. And then I think sometimes within our family unit, we actually can learn things about God through family relationships. I think it's helped me as a father to understand much more clearly my relationship with God as God being my father and me being one of his children. And there are many things that have happened to me over the years as a dad, as a husband, as a grandfather now, things that constantly reveal to me who God is, what he is like, how he interacts with us today. And so I've chosen to talk about God and family. These two verses I'm about to read are very interesting because they show us that this is something God planned before he ever created the earth. God had all this in mind. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The plan of God is that there would be this massive family of brothers and sisters. Then in Ephesians 1.5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Remember when I said the very nature of God, there are family elements there? Well, th that verse says that, doesn't it? Because look at that. God decided in advance, so b before he created man and everything, to adopt us into what? Into his family. By bringing us to who? To himself. To himself. And so the church, the kingdom of God, however you want to talk about it or phrase it, is essentially the family of God. We are family. I thought about playing a little short clip, you know. Is it Sly and the Family Stone or something? 
we are family. Anyway, Christ the Son sends the Spirit to give us new birth. We are born again. We are metaphorically adopted into the family of God because of the Spirit that He gives us. Thus, we become the children of God. God is in us. You know, when a man and a woman have a child, these chromosomes all come together in this perfect unity that God designed, and a child is created and born from the father, from the mother. And isn't it interesting then that in the adoption process that God is talking about, God comes in us through the Spirit. We are a product of God. We are born again by the Spirit. And so God is in us. So God is our Father. We are His children. And that makes all of us brothers and sisters. Siblingship is actually the most prominent self-designation, most common self-understanding that the early Christians had. The word Adelphos, which is translated brother, brethren, brothers, that sort of thing, many times it actually is referring to brothers and sisters. It occurs 127 times in Paul's writings, uh, 317 times in the New Testament. In Christ, through Jesus... But in Christ, we are a new family. We are a church of brothers and sisters. We're siblings because of the work of Christ, because of the power of the Spirit, and He made us siblings by an act of profound humility. And so, you know, when I was young growing up, Man, everybody in the congregation that I grew up, it was brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. We, I don't think we ever called anybody, whether you use their first name or their last name along with it, you always said brother and sister. I think we kind of lost that. But, hey, it's biblical. It's biblical. Mark 3, beginning of verse 31, Jesus had some things to say about his family. His earthly family, his spiritual family. Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Isn't that interesting? Whoever does the will of God, Jesus said, that's my and we are brothers and sisters. And I guess not like I could call Bonnie my mother, huh? 
We are brothers and sisters in the same way that Jesus viewed his family, his brothers, his sisters. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. You know, I think, I'm pretty sure, actually, I was my mom's favorite child. Um, actually, it was Curtis, but anyway, that's another story. Um, God doesn't have any favorites. We're all equal in his sight. Brothers and sisters. Jesus, yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the, go for the good news, the gospel, I'm used to saying that, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. I have a lot of brothers and sisters some of them are here today. You have a lot of brothers and sisters. We have a lot of brothers and sisters that are not here. A lot of brothers and sisters all over the world because we are the family of God. And so we need to look at some family dynamics and we need to consider what this should look like and, and how we should love each other as family. First of all, in the first century households, I'm not going to spend much time on this. However, I just want to say this, that back in the first century, among the Jews, among the pagans, and then pretty much most of the world outside of us, the family unit is quite a bit bigger. A broader range of people included in it than our single family units that we have here. It's very common for there to be a patriarch and there would be not only children but grandchildren, there would be sometimes aunts and uncles and cousins and, uh, and maybe they didn't all necessarily live under the same roof. In some cases they probably did, in other cases they just kept uh, building on rooms and, and things like that or sometimes it was just like in, in the neighborhood as we would call it in an area the whole family would live in different little dwellings and things like that but they were still considered a unit a family unit and so it was uh, in many respects different than what we think of but in a family love ought to be the defining characteristic. Love ought to be something that rules the family, that exists very prominently in the family. We tend to expect and at least strive for and hope for harmony, cooperation, things like that. But the fact is, we are broken. We are sinful people, and so families don't always look the way that God intended them to. So sometimes there's a lot of discord, conflict, argument, argumentation, 
all kinds of things. There's a lot of baggage. There's a lot of emotional damage that is done. There's a lot of things that can happen in families, a lot of things that aren't very good, not very healthy, not what God wants. But the amazing thing about families is that most of the time, no matter what happened, no matter the dysfunction, there always seems to be a deep desire for everything to be good, for everything to be set right, for all the wounds to be healed, for the dysfunction to go away, and we can all be together and have peace and unity and get along. I think everybody has that desire. I know there are people here in this room there's brokenness and dysfunction in your families. But you have a deep-seated longing, a need almost, for everything to be good in your family. And that's the way God made us. So let's talk about the church family. We should have love for each other, just like Husbands and wives, parents and children, siblings, all of these relationships that we find in a family, we should have that sort of love and commitment to each other. So when it's family, it's kind of interesting. You know, sometimes I've noticed if you talk or you hear someone talk about someone in their family, oh man, they'll get riled up and they'll get very defensive and hot under the collar right quick. But it's okay if they say something about their family. You ever notice that? You see, in families, we defend each other. That's part of what a family is. We honor each other. We defend each other because we're family. Now, if I want to gripe about my brother, that's one thing, but you better just keep quiet if you want to gripe about my brother. Kind of like Olivia said last Sunday, you know, don't talk about her husband. Now, she might get mad at him, but that's okay. Mutual growth into Christ's likeness. Remember that in, in advance, in the beginning, before God created, that was his plan, Romans eight twenty nine. We're united in purpose as a family. We have a family name. We have an identity in the family. We are together. We are united. There's solidarity. We favor one another. We have an emotional attachment. We have a commitment to each other. And being family means that we have a presence with each other. We are together. We are for one another. We will stand up for each other. And as I said, we will defend each other. And we're all moving the same direction together because we do have the same purpose. We have the same values. We have the same commitment. That's what the church is. It is a family that together is growing into Christ's likeness. And we encourage one another in that. We love one another through that. There are boundaries. You know who's in the family. You know who's in the family, you know who's not in the family, don't we? 
It's the same thing in the church. In the New Testament, there was no such thing as an unbaptized Christian. In some respects, it was like a rite of passage into the family, into the Christian community. And so those who had confessed Christ, those who had turned away from their sin, those who had put their trust and hope in Jesus and were baptized into Christ, everybody knew that's a brother, a sister. That's our family. There are also boundaries, expectations might be another way of putting it. If you are in the family, then you're going to have the characteristics of this family. In this family, you know, I grew up in a generation, people, I don't know if people even do this anymore, but um, my parents talked to me about the family and the family name and what we stand for and who we are, and you don't act outside of those boundaries. You don't live in a way that would bring shame on the family, that sort of thing. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about here. You see, if you're a family member, then there is the expectation and the assumption that you're following Jesus, that you're going to pattern your life after the teachings of Jesus, after the model of his life. The Jesus way is the family way. And so we live within those parameters. It might look different in a number of ways as each person or each family or each uh, local church lives that out. But we're still all one family in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.9, we talked about this in class this morning. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. This is from God. You know, Paul reminds a lot of the recipients of his letters from time to time. You know, what I'm telling you is from God. This is the Word of God. You need to accept this is the Word of God. This isn't just me talking. This is God's will. And we need to understand this. Loving one another, loving the family, is a directive from God. It is an expectation of God. This is what He wants. He wants a family where the family members, the brothers and sisters in Christ, honor each other, respect each other, love one another, even submit to one another, care for one another. That's what happens in God's family. That's the way things are. Let brotherly love continue. Jesus gave the command to love each other in John 13, 34, and 35. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Does anybody do that? Do we try, do we compete with each other in showing honor to each other? 
you show honor to someone, and they're, oh, no, 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 I'm going to, you know, and they show more honor back, and then they're, ah, you're not going to, you know, they show more honor back. You know, I think we need to read a lot of these passages and, and don't just gloss over them, but go through them slowly and think about what is being said about the relationship between brothers and sisters. And obey the Lord. This is from God. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That is the very opposite of what we see in our Western modern society, which is all about the individual. And the society often creeps into the church. And a lot of times Christians are more concerned about themselves, about the individual, than they are the group, the family. They're more concerned about what they want or what their preference is or what they like or the, the way they want their world to go. And what we need to be conscious of is that individualism flies out the door in the family of God. The family and what's best for the family is more significant than what each individual thinks or wants. Joseph Epstein said love is an agreement on the part of two people to overestimate each other. I like that. Let's overestimate each other. Let's think more highly of each other than we often do. That, that is showing love. Remember, love is what's best for the other person. 2 Corinthians 6, we get some insight in chapter 6 and 7 as to the Apostle Paul and the love that he had for the Corinthian church. And I want to remind you, the Corinthian church is the one that everybody looks at, well, that's the worst church in the Bible, you know. They had more problems than anybody else. In fact, I'm just, I, you know, I don't know what's wrong with Paul. He should have cut him off a long time ago. You know, that sort of thing. There was sexual immorality in that church. There was division in that church. There were, people were suing each other, taking each other to court in that church. I mean, we could go on and on and on about the stuff that was going on in the Corinthian church. So Paul was done with them. No, no, that's not what that says. I want you to look at the affection in these verses to the worst church in the Bible, okay? <laughs> oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you and our hearts are open to you. There's no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. I'm asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. And he goes on to say, please open your hearts to us. We've not done wrong to anyone or led anyone astray or taken advantage of anyone. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I said before that you're in our hearts and we live or die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you and I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me. And man, I'm thinking... 
you know, if I was the pastor of that church, I'm not so sure that I would say, oh, you have greatly encouraged. I'm afraid I'd be depressed at the things going on in that church. But he said, you've greatly encouraged me and made me happy. And look at, look at those last words. Despite all our troubles. We have a lot of troubles, don't we? We all do. Every church has troubles. If you're looking for the perfect church, you're never going to find it. No such thing. Every church has issues. Every church has problems. We all struggle. But what we do is recognize we are family. I mean, can you imagine if I would have walked away from my children when they, I didn't like what they did? Or I walked away from my wife because I didn't like some things about her? No, we don't do that in family. We work things out. We forgive each other. We're patient with each other. We're kind. We honor. We see the good in each other. We promote each other. Despite all our troubles, Paul had such feelings of affection for them. Love means considering the implications of our actions and words on the other siblings in the family. Scott McKnight says we are not identicals, but different. We know that. We're different. Tracy thinks there's things weird about me, and I think there's things weird about her. You know? But we get along. We get along. We love each other. That's what Christians do. We accept the fact that we are different. We're different. I don't like the fact that Charles is a Chiefs fan. I wish he's a Cowboy fan like me. But we get along. We love each other. It's okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, listen, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent. That doesn't make you more favored in the eyes of God. God's in control anyway, right? Jesus is the king, no matter who's the president. Jesus is the king. So we're going to accept each other, regardless of our political views and things like that. We're going to accept each other and get along because we're family. Galatians 3.28, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. So what do families do? Families eat together, they play together, they tell stories, they show hospitality to each other, they work together. 
We're advocates for each other. We share life together. We do life together. We have fellowship with one another. A preacher told me not long ago, I don't know half the people in my church. Okay. That's not the picture I get here. It's not the picture I get. The picture of a community of believers is that they interact they share life together they do life together a couple things I want to get to and I'll be finished we are a sacramental community the early church had a very high view of the sacraments baptism the Lord's Supper these were things that identified them and bound them together you know most families get together in holidays right Thanksgiving Christmas whatever we look for these opportunities these special occasions to get together with our family so no matter what the baggage that we all carry no matter some of the issues and problems maybe that even family members have had with each other isn't it interesting that holidays and big family meals seem to be a time of hope why do, you know sometimes the way some of these go you think well why do they do that every year you know why they do it every year because there is a deep hope welling inside of them that this year it'll be better this year it'll be different this year, everybody will get along. This year, we'll be family. They want that. And so they keep doing it year after year after year after year. These are special times. These are special moments. And so when our family gets together to celebrate, to remember, when we have our special occasion on the Lord's Day, every Lord's Day, and we gather around the Lord's table, and we feast on the body and the blood of Jesus our Lord. I cannot overemphasize to you how important an occasion that is. Do you understand? This is what the family does. It's a characteristic. It's part of our identity, our relationship. And don't miss this when we do this and sometimes I think somehow it escapes us when we eat the Lord's Supper Jesus is with us he is here he is present he is at the table if Jesus is there I'd like to be there. I want to take a seat. And I want to participate. Because my Lord is there. My big brother is there. The Bible calls him our elder brother. I don't know how many of you watched, the, watched that uh, show, This Is Us. But there's, there's some scenes, I don't know what season it is, but there, there's some scenes where kind of a flashback uh, to the, like, 
the main character that got killed in the fire and all that. Anyway, they go back there and they show a lot of things <laughs> about his, him and his little brother's relationship. And when I would watch those scenes, I would, every time I said, wow, what a great big brother he was. And I cried during that show a lot of times. And that's one of the times I've cried because I thought, I never had a big brother. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is my big brother. And he is a good big brother. He is for me. He watches out for me. He protects me. And when Jesus is at the table, at the family dinner, that's what the Lord suffers. The Lord suffers the family dinner. When we understand what we're doing, and when we participate in this together, we realize it's just what loving families do. It's part of being the family. And so we delight in our Savior. We are so blessed by Him. He is so good to us. And I don't know if any of us appreciate how wonderful it is, how blessed we are to be adopted into his family. So let's treat each other. You know, I, did a, I held a funeral this week. A neighbor of ours, mother passed away, and I preached the funeral. One of the things that always comes up around funerals inevitably somebody will say something like man I really I really need to show the people that are still alive how much I love them because you know when that, when, that per, when that loved one is gone you can't say another kind of word to them you can't do another nice thing for them Whatever chance you had to show love to that person is gone. I think that's important for us to understand in the body of Christ, while we're here, while we have one another, while we live life together, let's just show each other how much we love one another and how important we are as a family, okay? love one another by this all men will know that you're my disciples